Father God, we love you and we thank you uh, for being such an amazing God and giving us the opportunity to come here to your house of prayer. Lord, the, the week can be crazy, it can be laborious, uh, it can be cold, and yet we can be here in, in, in a nice warm place to come together and praise your name. Lord, as I speak here today, let it be you and not I. Send your Holy Spirit as we open the scriptures for wisdom, clarity, and understanding. And send your spirit to prepare our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your message. This is my prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say, Amen. So today we're going to talk about another parable that, that we've discussed before. Um, uh, you know, let me rephrase that. We've touched on the previous one prior to this, the parable of the mustard seed. This one is right after it. It's called, uh, you know, leaving. And, and the reason why I name it is, is because it's a one-verse parable. Uh, and as you know, if you're just joining us, every week for the past, well, not every week, but every message that we've had since like November has been about various parables of Jesus. And so we're touching on some of them, and today is no different than that. Now, the parable of the mustard seed, which was two sermons ago, uh, yeah, two sermons ago, I share with you what was happening in this setting with Jesus. Educated, influential people were coming out to see him because they're wondering what is all of the fuzz about. Here's this Messiah, and it doesn't seem to be the Messiah that they expected. And they're wondering, you know, when they got there, they saw all kinds of people. And I gave you guys last time a, a list of names. You know, they saw how they were poor, illiterate, ragged beggars, robbers. Uh, uh, they, they were individuals who um, were maimed and missing parts. They were mer- mer- merchants and men of leisure. They were high and low, rich and poor. Uh, and they were all crowding one another to try to see Jesus. And when this well-educated man, influential people see all of that, they're saying, wait. He's surrounded by those people? Is that really what the kingdom of heaven is about? And this was a question that went into their mind. So he told the parable of the mustard seed, and then he told the next parable, which is found in Matthew 13, 33, right after the mustard seed, and we'll have that on the screen. And it says, and another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like uh, leaving, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till it was all leaving. And it's easy to read through that. If you remember the previous verse when it talked about the mustard seed, it it said that it was tiny like a mustard seed. You know, the kingdom of heaven is small. It begins small, but then it grows to be big, powerful, and strong. Remember, this wasn't a Jesus that was going to come with an army and destroy everything and anything and take over. That's why they were shocked to see a humble Jesus rather than a king who was going to come and conquer it all. That was the parable of the mustard seed. Talking about who the Messiah was and who are we when we allow ourselves to be sown just like the mustard seed, how mighty and powerful we can grow. And then he continues to what else should we like in the kingdom of heaven? It is like leaven. Do you guys know what leaven is? Leaven. Oh, it's your accent. Leaven. Sorry. It's your accent. Yes, leaven. So, it drives with heaven. Okay, yes. So it is 11. Thank you so much for the correction, Mary Ruth. Now everybody online get to hear you as well. Uh, yes, 11. Sorry. So do you know what leaven is? Yes? You know how it functions? Do, do, do you know how, how it works and how it grows? Yes? Okay. Now, uh, uh, in, the, in the scriptures, often, often, leaven... <laughs> 
is seen as something that is bad, something that it is negative. As a matter of fact, when it came time to the Passover, many people were told to get rid of all the leaven that was in their home. Get rid of all of it because it was sort of like a symbolism of sin. And the idea was, you know, you get it out, you, you, you get rid of it. And, and so if we look at the scripture reading for today on Luke 12, 1, you see here Jesus warning the disciples about leaven. Look what it says. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware, watch out, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisee, which is hypocrisy. And so he says, be careful from that. Be careful of the living because, uh, because it is hypocrisy. And so right here, living, living is used as what? Something that it is negative. It is representative of something that it is sinful. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul also says something similar. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with all leaven, nor with the leaven of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and true. And so again here, you see leaven as something that it is negative. You see something as sin, as evil. Not only is Paul saying this, look, wickedness and so forth. Make sure that we do it with unleavened bread, which is truth and good stuff. And then Jesus says, watch out for, for them people and, and the leaven that is in them because it is hypocrisy. And so, you know, often it is saw as something that it is negative or sinful. However, in this parable, it is meant to be something positive. It is described as the kingdom of heaven. And it is like leaven. And a woman takes and hides it and then it grows until it is all completely leaven. And here leaven is more of illustrating how quickly or how fast or assimilating the power of the grace of God is. That's what living is symbolizing here. That's why it compares it to the kingdom of heaven being like living in this manner. So in this case, it is a positive thing. And so I'm going to put a quote on the screen in a moment. Don't put it up just yet. I want to read to you the sentence before we put the quote on the screen. It is from Christ Object Lessons 96.1. It says, none are so vile, none have fallen so low as to be beyond the working, power, the working of this power. In all who will submit themselves to the Holy Spirit, a new principle of life is to be implanted. The lost image of God is to be restored in humanity. And now we'll put this on the screen so that you can follow along. Page, uh, Christ Object Lesson, page 96.2. It says, But man cannot transform himself by the exercise of his will. He possesses no power by which this change can be effected. The leaven... Something woefully without, from without must be put into the meal before the desired change can be wrought in it. So the grace of God must be received by the sinner before he can be fitted for the kingdom of glory. All the culture and education which the world can give will fail of making a degraded child of sin a child of heaven. The renewing energy must come from God. The change can be made only by the Holy Spirit. All who would be saved, high or low, rich or poor, must submit to the working of this power. And 97 continues. As the leaven, when mingled with the meal, 
works from within outward, so it is by the renewing of the heart that the grace of God works to transform the life. No mere external change is sufficient to bring us into harmony with God. There are many who try to reform by correcting this or that bad habit, and they hope in this way to become Christians, but they are beginning in the wrong place. Our first work is with the what? Our first work is with the heart. Let me tell you one of the biggest problems that I struggle with in our churches. We come with a rule of things. First of all, we tell people, come as you are. And then they show up as they are, and we have an issue. We point out all of their faults, all of their doing. Then they said, I want to learn about Christ. How can I learn more about this? And instead of sharing with them the grace and the love and the mercy and the forgiveness and the essence that is Christ, oh, if you want to be a Christian, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do that, you shouldn't do this, shouldn't do that. On certain days we do this, on certain that. When you come to church, we stand up at certain times, we kneel down at certain times, we kneel at other times, we do whatever. And so we have all this list of things. And then we come to church with our own ideas, and if we see people not meet, meet that criteria, suddenly we're pointing fingers and noticing and figuring out what's going on and, and, and doing all of this. That's one of the strongest issues that I have with churches and religion and the struggle. It is because sometimes we lose sight of the love of God. I share with you when I was growing up in Puerto Rico years ago, I used to do many bad things. And the saying that they kept repeating to me was, Papa Dios castiga, God punishes. And I grew with this image of God, of a punishing God who's ready to smite me the minute that I do something that wasn't right. That is not how God is. He, in Psalms 103, says, says that how merciful are you that you don't even give us the punishments we deserve. I mean, my God is a merciful God. We deserve a whole lot more, and yet we don't do that. And so here's what happened. I'll tell you what happens. I grew up in a Spanish church in New Jersey, and I won't give you any other names beyond that, but I remember that people couldn't dress a certain way. My mom couldn't wear pants. Oh, God forbid you wear pants, because that's only man, something that men wear, and a woman shouldn't look like a man, and a man shouldn't look like a woman, and, you know, all of that stuff. She couldn't shave her legs, because if I looked at her legs and I found them attractive, it's her fault that she made me sin. So all of the women had hairy legs, hairy armpits, all natural colors of whatever, and, and you know, oh, you couldn't chew gum in church? Oh, the deacon would beat you up. And, 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 and I get it, but I find it more sinful for you to talk to me with your hot breath in church than for you to talk to me with chewing gum. I'd rather you chew gum and have a mint than, than for you to just be, hi, Joey. Happy Sabbath. Oh, God, mercy. No. What is that? And so we get all caught up on all these rules. We had a deacon, man. God forbid he you even thought you were chewing. One time I had something in my, in my teeth, and I'm going like this, and he did that thing with the finger right here, like a socket is what they call it. And I was like, ow. He's like, give it here. He's like, what? You're chewing. No, I'm not. I was like, give it to me. I was like, no. You swallow it, didn't you? I was like, I had nothing. I had chicken on my teeth, veggie chicken, of course, you know. And, and so it's like, why are we cut up? On all of these do's and don'ts, that doesn't bring transformation. In this church that I grew up in in Jersey, they were all caught up on how you behave or didn't behave. One day it is snow outside, and we were just making snowballs and playing. Don't do that. That's of the devil. It's like playing with the snow is of the devil. What's wrong with you? Come on. And so guess what? Years later, we find out that the head elder and half of the ladies in the church were getting to know each other biblically. 
You know? I mean, like a lot. Like all over. Like you're talking about half of the congregation needed to just, whoa, what is happening here? But on the outside, we looked apart. And all we did was make good-looking sinners. I'm not worried about your exterior. I'm focusing on the inside. This parable uh, uh, that, that, that says that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, it, it's, it has to do with the inside, this thing that grows inside of you, the power of the grace of God. That's where you begin. And so here's what happens. When you let God grow in your heart, you obey out of love and as a response to the love that you receive. You don't obey out of obligation. You know, because here, here is the problem. Here's the problem. You know, I, I love sugar. Oh, sugar is just, you know, I love sugar, but ain't no good for me. It really isn't. It is no good at all. And so what happens is that when they say, hey, you want, you know, like, like tomorrow is uh, Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, my wife and my nephew, my nephew, as you know, he's here for uh, uh, until April before he goes to the Air Force. They're making all these plans about baking this and baking that and cooking this. And, I, and I'm like, ah, it sounds so good. But I can't touch that because sugar is of the devil. I'm sure that's in the Bible somewhere, you know. And, and so I'm like, no, I, I can't do these things. But guess what? I want it, I crave it, I desire it. And the only reason, the only reason why I'm not going to partake tomorrow is not because I don't want it or because it doesn't taste good. It's because I bought suits that fit now and donated my other ones that don't fit. And I cannot afford to go back and wait again because I, I don't have that much money. I'm a broke pastor. And so, so that's the only reason why I came too far to, to, to just throw it all away for cookies and cake and chips and dips and Ah, mercy. Anyways, pray for me tomorrow, church, because uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be difficult. But here's the thing: I crave it and I wanted it. And so here's the, here's what happens. I told you this before. The problem with Christians is God loves the sinner, hates the sin. We love the sin, but we hate the sinner. And so the problem with us is that we crave and we want to disobey. So when we're obeying because we're not supposed to, you know, you kind of walk by the kitchen just. Smell that cake, touch it a little bit, oops. You know, we, we do, why? Because we desire it. And the only way that you're going to be able to truly obey, to truly serve God, is if he's working inside of you. Where suddenly when you look at that, you know, I used to love that, I used to crave that, I used to want that, but something has happened, a change, a transformation has, been, has happened in me that it is no longer me. This is something that happens from within. This is what Jesus tried to tell to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, which we'll put it up on the screen now, when he's trying to explain how this works. Because you see, knowledge of the truth is not enough. I know sugar is bad, but boy, I want it so bad. And so I know that this is evil. Like my uncle who used to smoke says, Joey, don't ever let me catch you doing this. This is bad for you because this is going to kill you someday. You know that? <clears throat> you know, understand, Joey? And it's like, come on. What are you doing? And we do that. We know it's bad, but knowing it's not enough. We need to be transformed from within. John chapter 3, beginning of verse 3. It says, Jesus answered to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his, into his mother's womb and be born? You know, it's... 
People in the Bible were full of sarcasm, and they were smart Alex all of the time. But anyhow, verse 5, and Jesus answered, Most surely I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Verse 7, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Can anybody here really contain the wind? Can you really grasp it? You know, I love in Ecclesiastes when Solomon compares vanity to as silly as a tr- chasing after the wind and trying to, trying to grab it, and, and you just can't. And, and so here's what happens. We need to let God work within us and be born in you. We need to be al- have our lives transformed from the inside the way leaven does to bread. We, we need to have that transformation and let it grow inside of us to the point that it transforms us and it creates the, the character that God is trying to create in us. And when you do that, as it says there on verse 8, you know, the wind goes where it goes, where it pleases. No one com- tells where it comes from or where it's going. You just can't do it. And it is the same with everyone who is born of the Spirit. There is no limit to what you can do. Remember the mustard seed? Began small and it grew strong. And you, if you allow the leaven of God to work in you, His grace, there is no limit to the things that could happen in you and through you for the benefit of every single person. Do you understand, really, the love of God and His grace? I was talking to someone last week, and they kept repeating their failures and their struggles. And it breaks my heart, because do you not see how amazing the grace of God is? It's not like what you did wasn't wrong. It's that His grace is so amazing that even with all of that wrong, He loves you and He's willing to forgive you. Listen, I've done horrible things. You know, I I have. I I shared with you before when I was a teenager, you know, I used to partake of the old peace pipe, you know, Mary Jane, chronic, whatever you want to call it, you know. And and for a while there, I struggled with it. I used to smell it. It was like, woo, baby. You know, I I crave it. I want it. But you know what? After years of, of God working with me, it's not something that I want or crave or desire anymore. I had a prayer journal that I started roughly 20 years ago. And I go through some of my confessions there. And when I look back, it's like, you know what? I don't struggle with that anymore. There are other things that that I still struggle with, but it is amazing to see how God works in you, and it is okay. Not okay that you did wrong, but because of his grace, his grace is sufficient. You know, and so you have people like Paul, when he was called Saul, who hunted down and killed Christians. And yet, when he gave his life to Christ, he worked in him and through him and did wonderful things in his life and through his life. And we still talk about them today. I mean... You have that there where God can work in you in such a manner. We've seen it all. We've seen it throughout the Bible, many examples. And when God comes in, he can do wonderful, wonderful things. I have seen that. I have a friend of mine. He um, passed away uh, a couple of years ago. Very good friend of mine. He owned a mechanic shop in New Jersey, and I used to work with him on the summers. And um, he, he, was, he was that type of person. I mentioned it here in a couple of sermons before where his wife uh, was a member of the church and his kids and everything, but he wasn't. And for 25 years she prayed, and then finally he gave his life to Christ. 
And when he gave his life to Christ, I saw a transformation. In the mechanic shop, he used to be the guy that would buy stolen stuff from different people. Then he would, like, you know, sell it or whatever and, and, you know, do some interesting shady things from time to time. He was connected, you know, with folks in the city. But when he finally gave his life to Christ, not only did he become a, a, a follower of Christ, but he became a leader in the church. And then I witnessed him in the shop when people would come up and say, hey, you know, I, I got this TV and I got this VCR or whatever, you know, back when VCRs were, were the thing, you know. And, and, and he's like, um, you know, he's like, no, no, you know, hey, I, I, if you need money, I'll give you some money, but I'm, I'm no longer going to encourage you to do these things and break into people's houses and, and do whatever. Like you saw the transformation that happened with him. A couple of years later, he, uh, he, he was feeling guilty because he got into a car accident, and he says to me, Joey, I got to tell you, that was God punishing me. I said, brother, God doesn't punish. Well, you know what? Uh, he sure woke me up because you know what happened, Joe? We were going really slow, and I saw this good-looking girl on the sidewalk, and I'm like, oh, bam! And then I realized, oh, I had sinned even in my mind. So he realized as he kept spending time in the church little by little, he realized, you know what, I, 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 I was looking at that lady even though I'm married and I was thinking all of these things and bam. And so every time he would come to me and share how he discovered new things that he was struggling with and how he's little by little letting those go. And I'm like, wow, praise God. And it was nice to see God working in his life. I have seen that, and, and God is an amazing God, but that change and that transformation, even though it's the work of a lifetime, only happens if you really understand his grace and his love. He didn't take that moment to beat himself up. He took that moment to recognize, Whoa, I need to redirect. Okay, God, please be with me. Continue to work with me. Help me, God. And that's how he works. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning on verse 4, says the following, But God, who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love, with which he loved us, verse 5, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been what? Saved. Verse 6, and raised us up, up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And not of yourselves now, not because of something you did or didn't do or dress a certain part or chew a certain gum. It is the gift of what? It is the gift of God. And so here's what happens. Leaven works invisibly, you know, naturally in, in, in bread. And that's how the leaven of truth works in us. Secretly, silently, steadily to transform the soul. And so we have natural inclinations where we desire, where we crave, where we want to do certain things, where we get angry and it's like, oh boy, we're ready to fight or do whatever. Leaven of God works in us. His grace in such a way. That nothing but love, mercy, and grace comes out of us. So suddenly we start having new thoughts and new feelings and new responses to things. And our standards suddenly are completely changed. This is the way the grace of God works in us. This is how his character is formed inside of us. But you must understand and accept this grace. You got to accept it. I struggle sometimes. I struggle sometimes because... Um, 
I've had people, you, some of you even, even in this church here, Pastor, how do you do it? How do you tell people, you know, hey, what about this and what about that? And they just don't listen. Hey, we need help with this and no one shows up. Or, hey, how, how do you do that? How do you not just get angry and it's like, ah, you know? And, 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 and so I think about that. First of all, I don't get angry because the thing is this. Every soul matters, every single one of you. And whether you're listening or not, it's not about me, it's about God. You understand? And if I knew this, and if I kept this in mind, I would respond differently to things. And so here's my other struggle, though. I have seen church meetings where the elder, I wasn't a pastor at the time, I was just an AY leader, where the elder got upset at the pastor because they couldn't agree on the color of the carpet, and he punched the pastor in the face. And it's like... No, but pastor, it should be green, should be blue, should be green. I said green. Like, like, how does that look like? How do you work in God's business and become some of the meanest, nastiest people ever? You know, I have seen this. I saw this in Orlando a couple of years ago with Pulse. This is a, 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 uh, a club for people who enjoy the same, the same gender. And so when they got shut up in there, there were people out there with sticks, Christians, saying, oh, that happened because they were sinning. Ah, like seriously? How do you smack people up? When a tragedy has happened, when any life is taken regardless of their preferences and say that this is your punishment for not walking right with God. Remember what I've always told you. Jesus is our judge, our advocate, our true witness, and the devil is the accuser. We don't play a role in any of that stuff. And I'm not saying that we should okay anybody else's sins or preferences. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that we should dare not accuse them or beat them up or judge them either because that is commanded to either the devil or God. God is the judge and, Jesus, and the devil is the accuser. So why are you trying to play a role that it is not yours? And so here's the thing. If you find yourself pushing the things of God, but you have no transformation from within, that's a problem. Look at this quote from Christ's Object Lessons, page 99.1. And it says the following. Often the question arises, why then are there so many claiming to believe God's word, in whom there are not seen there is not seen a reformation in words, in spirit, and in character. Why are there so many who cannot bear opposition to their purposes and plans, who manifest an unholy temper, and whose words are harsh, overbearing, and passionate? There is seen in their lives the same love of self, the same selfish indulgence, the same temper and hasty speech that is seen in the life of the whirling. There is the same sensitive pride, the same yielding to natural inclination, the same perversity of character as if the truth were wholly unknown to them. The reason is that they are not converted. They have not hidden the leaven of truth in the heart. It has not had the opportunity to do its work. Their natural and cultivated tendencies to evil have not been submitted to its transforming power. Their lives reveal the absence of the grace of Christ and unbelief in his power to transform the character. And so here's what I'm going to tell you. If you're losing it with your fellow church members, where you can't even talk about it for days, if you're losing it with your family members, if you're losing it with your husband or your wife, you know, 
that means that Christ's character development is not done in you yet. Don't blame them. Don't excuse them. Take responsibility for what you have done. Remember when I told you probably about six months ago in a message? I know you don't remember what I'm going to say today. But anyhow, uh, six months in a message about Emotions Anonymous, where they discover that you usually have no control of your emotions for a maximum of 90 seconds. After that, you are making the conscious decision to go right ahead and act on that emotion. So somebody tells me bad news, you know, somebody has died. How can this be? You know, that immediate response is uncontrollable, up to 90 seconds. After that, you are choosing to respond in that manner. So somebody crashes into me in the car. I have a couple of choices. I could go out, start fighting with them, banging on their car, doing whatever. I could call the police. I could respond all kinds of ways. The action is one thing, but my reaction is all determined on me. So yes, I know some of your spouses can get on your nerves. Yes, I know some of your church members can be difficult to bear. But if you're losing it, that is all on you. If you're responding the same way people who are not from the church respond, or worse, that means that you have not really been converted and understood the love of Christ for you. Do you not see that there's nothing that you can do to deserve such love and grace? It is only by his love. The fact that you're not worthy makes you a candidate. If you were a saint, you would have no need of a savior. The fact that we struggle, that we fail, that we try and fall again and try again. What is it that the Bible says that the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak? It is true, but that makes you a great candidate for the kingdom. And if you understand that grace, you can make that grace your own and it can grow in you like leaven does. It can work through you to the point that you will respond different to the world. That you could do those silly things that Jesus says that when somebody slaps you, you turn the other cheek. When Jesus says like you heard, you know, hate your enemy but love your neighbor, I'm telling you to also love your enemy. Do you know how hard it is to love your enemy? I have a tough time loving some of my friends. Imagine my enemies. I mean, can you picture that? But it is only through the love of Christ in you. And if you're not there yet, you need to do what you're doing. Study the word of God more. Spend some time in the scriptures. Hear the word. Romans 10, 17. Look what it says. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? By the word of God. You know, Lord, I'm trying to be loving. Please help my lack of love. I'm trying to be faithful. Please help my lack of faith. I'm trying to feel like I'm forgiven. And sometimes I keep feeling guilty. Please, Lord, give me peace in my heart. John 17, 17. Look what it says. One of Jesus' last prayers recorded. It says, sanctify them by your truth. What does it say? Your word is truth. We have to consume the word of God. We have to study it daily. We have to obey it and allow it to grow in us. How is it that we could sit to three or four hours of the Super Bowl and we can't pray for five minutes or read, you know, some of the devotionals. It's like two paragraphs. It takes less than a minute. And you can't even do a daily devotional? Come on now. You can't say amen. Say ouch. First Peter chapter 1, beginning on verse 15. First Peter chapter 1, beginning on verse 15. It says the following, but... As he who called you is holy, you also what? Be holy in some of your conduct. Only when the pastor comes visits us, and we had all of those DVDs from our collection because we don't want him to see it. You know, and we make sure that, that we bring out the, the, good, the good plates and, and that kind of thing. Only when we show up in church, you know, we sing, ha, you know. And, and, and no, no. What does it say? In all your conduct. And verse 16, it says, because it is written... Be holy, for I am holy. The Bible doesn't say try holy. Attempt 
holy. Pretend holy. It says what? Be holy in all your conduct. Last quote for today from Christ's Object Lesson, page 102. It says, The grace of Christ is to control the temper and the voice. Its working will be seen in politeness and tender regard shown by brother for brother, in kind, encouraging words. An angel presence is in the home. The life breathes a sweet perfume, which ascends to God as holy incense. Love is manifested in kindness, gentleness, forbearance, and long-suffering. The leaven of truth works a change in the whole man, making the coarse refined, the rough gentle, the selfish generous. By it, the impure are cleansed, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Luke chapter 13, verse 20 and 21. It says, And again he said, To what shall I liken the kingdom of God? What really is the kingdom of God going to be like? What? Verse 21. And it says, it is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leaven. You want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like? Consume the word of God. Spend time with him. Take to him your anger and your frustrations. You don't know how many fights I have had with God. I've even, and I'm being completely transparent throughout my journey, I've even dropped some of that Chico English that we talked about before, some F-bombs and S-bombs, and it's like, how can this, you know, and just, just, I fought with him out of frustration, and it turns out I was being more mad at me than what I was at him, but I came to him with all of that. We don't do that at times. Bring it all to him. You want to talk about your brother in your church? Talk about it on your knees. And ask God to either change them or change you. Sometimes we see something about people and it really is about us. So if you're going to talk about anyone, do it on your knees. If you have issues with anger, do it on your knees. If you have issues with any struggle, any addiction, any, any type of ugliness in your life, spiritually speaking, hey, and even physically, talk about it on your knees. Take it to the throne of God. Because the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Secretly and inwardly, and then it will show hourly, just like leaven does in bread. Let us go ahead and pray. Father God, we love you so much. Lord, this is a one-verse, two-verse parable, depending on which gospel you're looking. Very simple, but yet we overlook it, and we don't really know how it works. It is all about that small step to let you in our lives. Maybe... I have been struggling just praying to you. Maybe I just make it a point to, to write an alarm, put an alarm on my phone. Do it, you know, when I wake up in the morning. Thank you for another day of life because there's many people I know that didn't wake up today. Maybe just before bedtime. Maybe for every meal because there are no other people that skip meals because they cannot afford to eat. So the fact that we have something before us is something that we can be grateful for. Maybe I'll try to make it a point that before I go about my day, whatever the day uh, has for, for me, I'll just read one or two paragraphs in a daily devotional. Maybe like those apps that do the verse of the day. I have to begin somewhere, but I need to let you in me. I need to hear your word. I need to read your word. I need to study your word. I need to consume your word because your word is truth. And the leaven is your grace. And the only way that I can really understand your love for me is by making you part of me. By letting you in willingly, you force yourself on no one. You've given us all the choice. Please, Lord, we want to choose you. And although sometimes we also want to choose the other things that are not you, give us the strength to choose you always. Work in us and through us for the benefit of all. It is my prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say, Amen.